Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. Jesus, before I say anything this morning, I'm unworthy to stand here, but I'm honored. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of knowing this great pastor and his wife, Michael and Jessica. Thank you for the years of knowing them. I pray, Lord, that in these last years of my life, we thank you for giving us the privilege of standing here. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. recently celebrated, if I can count right, my 91st birthday. Am I right? <laughs> Most people don't get to celebrate their 91st birthday. Um, I thought the other day, I don't know that I can count that far. Uh, but it's been a, a great life. We pastored Hong Kong for Lester Summerall. We pastored the great Bethel Temple when I was in my 20s in Manila, Philippines. We came to Buffalo, was it 60 years ago? Yeah, 60 years ago. God gave me a wonderful wife, a beautiful daughter who sat here in the front row. They both can out preach Amy's can out-preach me a long ways. But I simply stand here as his servant. Turn with me, if you will, to one of my favorite verses. The third chapter of the book of Philippians and verse 10. We believe very strongly in this ministry. Our granddaughter, Kayla, who is someplace here this morning, by not only her decision, but by mommy's decision, my daughter, I didn't have any part of the decision, but I would have made the decision. Kayla came here to receive her Bible school education. There is no higher honor that we could give a school than to entrust our daughter and our granddaughter. This is where God is, and we wanted her a place where God is. Listen to this verse. To know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, the necessity for knowing him is just to not know the person or the personality or the power, 
but to know the power of his resurrection. I don't even understand this phrase. I'd like to preach on it, but I'm trying to figure it out. The fellowship of his sufferings and even being conformed to his death. If somehow I might make it to the resurrection of the dead. A few years ago, I was on the Board of Regents for Oral Roberts University. I came to have the privilege of knowing Oral in a very personal way. And I stood alone with him in the office and I will never forget the experience. His office on the fourth floor of the administration building overlooks the entire campus. You can see the prayer tower. You can see all the buildings and you could see the students, thousands of them, as they walked across the ground. And to stand there with the man that built it was an experience I will always remember. He came and he put his arms around me and he walked with me over to this huge window. And as you looked out that window, you could see all of the buildings the man built, all of the dreams he had, all of the fulfillment of a man's life. And I will never forget his words. He looked at me and he said, Tommy, that's some of the fish I caught. I love that. But then he said, turn around. And he took me and he pivoted my body. And over on the left side of the wall, I saw this phenomenal painting. It was, I think, 14 feet high and probably 30 feet long. Huge office. And I looked at the painting as he described it, and these were his words. It was a picture of uh, Jesus and the catch of fish. There were thousands of fish. They were overflowing the boat. There were three disciples. And he said, Tommy, look at their eyes. Two of them were amazed. They looked at the fish and they had called for them all night and they had caught nothing. He came by and simply said the word and the whole boat was overloaded and overflowing. And he said, Tommy, look at their eyes. Two of them were standing there, standing in amazement as they looked down at the fish. But one of them, I think it was probably John, from what we know about John, but one of them, was turned around, not looking at the fish. It was as if he never saw them. Or maybe he did see them. But his eyes were transfixed on Jesus. And as a tear came down his eyes, he said, Tommy, I want you to know that it's wonderful to look at the fish you caught. 
But pray for me that I will always keep my eyes fixed on the Christ. To know him. I've got a bunch of notes in front of me and I'm probably not going to even look at them because they probably mean nothing. Only that phrase literally cascades over my thought process. To know him. What is it in all of life that we like to see and know? Oh, we like to see our fish. For some of the pastors, we like to see the buildings we built. We sacrificed and we labored and we worked hard and we gathered people and they helped us build and we built and we hope someday that God will remember us for that. Cost us millions. But none of that matters very much. Just maybe we have to forget all of that. Maybe not forget it. It's all a value. I'm glad for everything I did. Every building I built and every soul I won and every student that went through our Bible school, everything that we did, it's a wonderful memory. I like that. I'm 90 years old. I've had 60 years of doing this. It's been a wonderful life. It's been a wonderful ride. Church I pastored in Manila, the church I pastored in Hong Kong, the church I pastored in Buffalo for 60 years. That's been a wonderful ride. But I hope that I hide my eyes fixed on him enough because I think he saw it. I hope he appreciated my work. That was all wonderful. I hope he appreciated what he did. I hope he appreciated my fellowship with Pastor Benny and with Pastor Michael and Jessica. I love that. But there's only one thing that really matters. And that is that we know Christ. I like to think my notes are important. I think they look pretty good. They would make a good sermon, I think. I do pretty good at that. I've done it for 60 years, but what is important in life? If I could do anything for you this morning, it would not be to preach to you. There's better preachers sitting here than me. They're younger and more eloquent and probably have more education than I have. Uh, but do you know Christ? Because there's nothing more important in life than knowing Christ. It's wonderful to have degrees. 
I spent years on the Board of Regents of ORU to sit with all those men that used to sit around those tables and talk about the education and what it cost and how much more it cost than they were paying in tuition and how do we make up the difference and how are we going to keep this thing running? Those were interesting and wonderful days. There were times when I saw Brother Roberts, his, his life, how, how are we going to make it? And then there were times when it was wonderful and the funds were coming in and it goes up and down and you're laboring and you're trying to do it. And you kind of hope that just maybe Jesus saw all that. But maybe, just maybe, I think it's true. He wanted some fellowship with us. You know, I think about this two ways. I think what I need to learn in life, what I'm trying to learn, prayer is so interesting because it becomes such drudgery when it becomes a duty. We become so distant from God when we're trying to find Him, when it becomes labor to do what I know he likes best of us is to know us. But sometimes that becomes so difficult and so hard because it's such a different world than we know around us and we want to know him and yet we try to get through all this stuff that's around us to get to him. And somehow the labor of getting there, the labor of trying to find the time, the labor of trying to give up the normal to get close to God is so terribly difficult. Or is it? That I might know him. And I ask myself, Tommy, why in God's name don't you want to get there? What makes it so difficult? What makes it such a discipline? I don't ever want to think of prayer as a discipline. Prayer is a privilege. Have we ever realized that we get invited into the very throne room of God to spend time with the God of the universe, the God who spoke every planet and every constellation and every star into existence? He invites us in to see him. And yet, we think of it as our duty. I can't imagine how our faith was designed. I wonder how much work it was for Martin Luther, or for Augustine. I wonder what it was like for the disciples, Peter and James and John. I wonder if prayer was as much a discipline for them as it was for us. They knew him. They walked with him. They ate with him. They spent three years with him. And they saw him go up into heaven and promised them he'd come back. They were with him.
I wonder how much discipline it took for John to come into his presence. And what about the apostle in the book of Philippians who wrote these words? To know him. I don't know about you, but I've got those words underlined in my Bible. To know him. I'm just trying to think what that means. What does it mean to know God? Does it mean to know the book? In a way it does. Does it mean that we spend so many hours a day in prayer? I don't think any of us do that. But how about when we drive our car? Or we get on the airplane? We go to bed at night. We close our eyes. Life is to be lived with Christ. Life itself is intended and planned by God to be our prayer room. Can I say that again? Life is intended by God to be our prayer room. It's not someplace we go, it's something we are. It's not something we have to do. It's something that becomes such a lifestyle with us that when we're driving the car or we're sitting at a table at a restaurant or we're looking at Christ, across the table at our wife, we're with Christ. I remember when I was a little boy. I learned about Jesus from my parents. And most everything I know I learned then. I haven't learned much since. Because they were such good teachers. Let me tell you about my mother. Uh, she was the daughter of a woman who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in 1907. One of the first people to speak in tongues in the state of Pennsylvania during the Pentecostal outpouring. She had backslidden and gone away from God and married a non-Christian man. School teacher that got a job as a waitress at the hotel where my dad was the chef. And they married and one night my mother was and dad were dancing. They used to win all the dancing contests and they were dancing at the floors of the Armour Inn that still stands there, not far from my house where I live. And as she was dancing and running from God, she had a little boy laying at home by the name of Tommy. And as she was dancing across that dance floor, she saw her little boy in a casket. And I don't know whether it's good theology or was the voice of God or the voice of the Holy Spirit, but something said to her, you need to come to me. 
because he is supposed to preach the gospel. And she dragged my, my dad to a little Wesleyan Methodist church in the town of East Aurora, New York. And when uh, the evangelist, who was a Native American, Tom Claus, gave the invitation, she said to my dad, I'm going down there. My dad said, what for? Why do you do that? I, never, he was the son of a saloon keeper, so he'd never been to church. First time in his life he ever was in a church house except for a wedding or a funeral. And she took him by the hand and said, go with me. I would not be who I am today if that night a former sword swallower by the name of Gilbert Baker had not given that altar call so passionately that they came. Oh, the wonder of salvation. The wonder of transformation that he can take a saloon keeper, he can take a man that never went to church and in an instant transform his life and make him anew. The wonder of the gospel that we preach, it amazes me every time I stand here that I hold in my hand a book that was written by God and a gospel that transforms millions across the earth. And I realize how powerful what we have really is. My daughter who sits in the front row with this book on worship. It's a phenomenal book on worship. I, I, I brought it up here because she wrote a statement on the cover. You are invited on the journey of a lifetime. The wonder of the gospel. And I made all these notes and I've got a lot of wonderful notes and they're good to preach in any pastor's conference and I'm standing in front of hundreds of people this morning and I ought to have something better to say than what I'm saying, but I felt called of God to say, don't we understand how important this gospel is that we preach? The world stands on the brink of disaster, and there's a gospel that we can preach, and we can stand in this pulpit and declare, and we can go to the, the, the supermarket and put our arms around somebody and give them a gospel that can transform their lives, and there's a gospel that transformed my parents and gave me the possibility of living 90 years of life and standing here tonight well and whole, walking and standing at 90 years of age and say this gospel is the most powerful thing in the entire world. What is life? Where are we going? What drives us? What's this thing of a call? Maybe I know that a little better than you do because I was 
raised the force for first four years of my life in the house of a man who made a business of selling alcohol. And one day, Albert Reed and Helen Rice Reed went to a little Wesleyan Methodist church that still stands. I drive by it at least two or three times a week. And I think of that day. They knelt at an altar like this. And everything in life changed. Yes, the cigarettes went out. And the alcohol was no longer in the icebox. It was an icebox. It wasn't even a refrigerator that long ago. Uh, all of it was gone. And Jesus became the center of two lives. My dad couldn't preach, and so he was a chef, and so he went and volunteered his services as to cook in the Bible school, just to train preachers because the gospel was so important to him. I wanted to preach a good sermon. I can do that. I know you don't believe it, but I can. Uh, but maybe I could take you just for these moments and have you picture the wonder of the gospel. The first time that I went to the mission field, we went on a freighter between Los Angeles and Manila. It was a 21-day trip on that slow-moving 450-foot freighter, but it was cheaper than going by air, and we didn't have much money. And all the time, day after day as we went, we only saw land, and that was a tiny little island in 21 days. It was all ocean. And I discovered how big the world is and how great God is just by looking the expanse of the water he made on this planet. When we got to the Philippines, one of the major songs of that day was Red Sails in the Sunset. And as we entered the Visayas, and that old freighter began to sail. There must have been 50 or 60 little, small sailing vessels. They all had red sails. It was a dramatic moment. We landed where we were called. And we were welcomed by the song of the day. The journey of a lifetime.
You want to know how it feels to be 90? Well, first of all, I'm... except for this stupid nose that keeps running <laughs> from all the tears I shed, I am very well. I get up in the morning with no pains and no aches, and I'm just, just fine. Uh, and can I just say this to you? You know why I am? This book's a covenant. It's a covenant of health and a covenant of healing. And I believe that God can keep you well every day of your life because you've got a covenant with God. And the journey has been wonderful. And yours will, will be too. I think of so many people I've won to Christ. Some of them become preachers. Some of them pastor large ministries. I've had friends like Benny Hinn, one of my very best friends. I love him like I love my own son. God gave me that privilege. Life for Wanda and me has been unbelievable. A daughter who preaches the gospel. How could life be better than that? That's all wonderful. But most of all, I bring you back where I began. I don't have a long sermon for you. I don't want to take a lot of your time because there's a lot of other preachers here better than me. Life is about serving God. I wonder what life would have been like if my parents hadn't met Gilbert Baker. I remember when and maybe I have an extra heart for broken preachers. I was just a child. I remember when they accused him of having an affair with a young lady in the church. And the church put him out. And we were brand new Christians. My dad couldn't understand, of course, coming from the world. Not that that wasn't a terrible sin, but why did they treat him like this? We got in that old 37 Ford, made all their way to a little place where he was working at a gas station. And my parents walked up to the gas station and said, we drove all the way. This is in the 1930s. It's a long ways to Florida in 1930. Just to say thank you for leading us to Christ. The wonder of leading somebody to Christ. And I want to close by saying this. The journey of a lifetime. The journey of a lifetime when we can win men and women to Christ. I wonder what it's going to be like when we get to heaven.
excuse me, when I get to heaven and I see some of them, the ones my dad won, the ones my mother won, the ones I never knew that my grandmother won, and the ones that at an altar like this, I put my arm around them. They prayed that sinner's prayer. And they found Jesus. I wonder what that day will be like in heaven when I meet them. Now picture this for a moment. I came to the church over 60 years ago. All the people that sat there when I became the pastor and they elected me and they, I used to walk into Albon's office who was my treasurer for years and he was one of the members when I came and he's gone to be with the Lord now. And I'd say, Al, did you vote for me when I became the pastor? He never answered me one way or the other. <laughs> uh, and we became very close friends. I never wanted to pass to the church when after he went home to heaven. He was my partner, my buddy. And I said to him one day, Al, I wonder what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. And we began to go through the people that found Christ. They were all in heaven. We were still here. What is this eternal gospel about? If I could just take you for a moment and make you realize how important preaching this book really is in our world. It's the only thing that can transform the world. It's the only thing that can take all of the evil out of this world and make it good. Because this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Savior of the world and the God of heaven who breathed every planet into place. This is the gospel. And if I could leave you with this from the old man. And we have been called by God to preach it, to share it. Maybe you're a store owner or you're a cashier or you're a mechanic. But your profession, the thing that God has called you to do, is to share the gospel. He came all the way from heaven. A little boy walks across a bedroom. That little boy was me. And I came and would pass my mother's bedroom. And as she laid on her bed, she would say to me, Tommy, come. And I would go in the bedroom. And she would say, kneel down beside me. Wanda never met my mother. My mother was well-educated. She was a teacher in the secular world. 
she had gone wayward away from God and away from her parents who believed in God. But something about her mother, her mother, got into her spirit and she said, I've got to go and find Christ. And she went to the altar that night with my dad and they both gave their hearts to Christ and everything changed at our house. And from the cigarettes and the beer in the refrigerator and the, all the stuff of the world, whatever it is, they became the best Christians I've ever known. Jesus As I stand here this morning, over 80 years ago, I was just a child. And Helen Reed and Albert Reed found Christ. And everything about my life changed. And I grew up in a Christian home. I thank you, Lord, for that. But, Lord, we stand here. We sit here in these pews this morning. And we've got a world that's dying in sin. And their lives are a mess. They're not faithful to their partner. and Their children see it. got something to share with them that can change them as it changed my mother and father it can change them and transform them and it's become so casual I want to welcome everyone here to the journey of a lifetime the journey of winning souls We make it so complex. It's not the wonder of the choir and the beauty of the orchestra and the great structure of the sermon and the wonder of the beautiful buildings that we build. It's the wonder of the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. And can I be very simple, Lord, and say to them, we've forgotten the simplicity and the wonder of the gospel that we preach. It's not in the buildings. It's not in the program. It's not in the orchestra. It's not in the choir. It's not in everything that we do. It's in the simplicity of our Lord. And sometimes we forget you, Jesus. May we come back the wonderful simplicity of knowing Christ. I didn't preach much of a sermon, but can I read to you by scripture? To know him. To know him. And the power of his resurrection. Where would I be 
my parents didn't know that and share it with me. The fellowship of his sufferings be conformed unto his death. I wanted to behave myself this morning and just preach a good sermon. I've got some great notes. The Lord didn't let me do that, I guess. I don't know, because I didn't plan to say what I said. The wonder of the gospel. At 90 years of age, still well, still whole because of the gospel. I thank you, Lord, for the gospel. May it always be the center of my life. In Jesus' name. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit JesusImage.tv.